Welcome to the Limerick Post News Roundup. I'm your host, Keen Reinhardt. This is where we bring you the week's news in bite-sized portions. And this week's podcast is brought to you in association with Brown Thomas, who have their summer sale ongoing right now. I'm now joined in studio by Head of News, Jerry Collison. Jerry, how are you getting on? Did you miss me last week? I did indeed. I did indeed. I had a big cane-shaped hole in my heart. <laughs> I'd imagine so. How is everything going? Well, it was going mighty now for the past week. Um, now that you're back, it'll go super. I think so. So uh, looking at the front page of this week's paper, there's 119 Limerick women had abortions in the UK last year. Yeah, that's something you'd think now that um, would have made its way out of the headlines at this stage, given that we had the uh, the uh, vote there last year and we had the implementation of the new uh, legislation governing abortions in the new year. But this is fairly significant in the sense that um, these will be the last figures that will be available um, prior to the effects of the new abortion legislation coming into effect. So it shows that um, there were 119 women who gave Limerick addresses um, when they presented for abortions in the UK. These figures are coming from the UK Department of Health. And it's through a service called the Abortion Support Network. And um, they would they would calculate, actually, that the figure could be significantly higher because um, quite a number of women who would have been there might necessarily have given any address, never mind the Limerick address. Um, so it'll be interesting, let's say, to compare the figures this year and the figures next year, and then to be able to take from that how many abortions would actually have been carried out locally in the meantime. So for that reason, you know, it is pretty significant. And then I see in the second paragraph, Bernie writes that it's the third highest figure in Irish counties. Yeah, I mean, that's something maybe that should be expected. But the sense is that, you know, Dublin, naturally enough, would be uh, yeah. would be significantly greater. Now, there's just over a thousand women who gave their addresses in Dublin. Cork, I think, is somewhere maybe around, I don't know, maybe 30, 25, 30 higher than, than Limerick. Um, but one of the things is that the number of women who've been given Irish addresses in the UK has declined over recent years. And um, the people involved in the pro-life campaign are very concerned at this stage that the introduction of the new legislation will actually um, have a big effect on that. That, you know, the, the, the gains as they see it over recent years are going to be lost through the introduction of new legislation. So that'll be interesting to see. And that entire story is available on page one and two of this week's Limerick Post newspaper. And uh, sticking with healthcare, there's a hospital strike coming up. There is indeed, yeah, there is indeed. And and the indications are that this might even be more serious and have a, have a deeper effect than the nurses' strike earlier on. Um, this is scheduled for tomorrow. Uh, early hours tomorrow. Uh, it'll affect three of the uh, hospitals in the University of Limerick Hospitals Group, and all three are actually in Limerick. Those are the University Hospital Limerick out in Doyle. We have the Maternity uh, Hospital on the Limerick Road, and we have Croom Orthopaedic Hospital. So in effect, the only... Um, hospital in the group in Limerick that won't be affected at this stage is the St. John's. Um, now, it's involving porters, healthcare assistants, chefs, laboratory and theatre staff. Um, so the actual 
uh, effects on all of the hospitals uh, is in greater detail uh, in our um, digital uh, platforms. Yeah. Limitpost.ie. Yep, that's it. <coughs> and uh, is there an end in sight to this, or is this the new? Ah, uh, this is this, this has this has the, all the appearance that it could run for a while. Effectively, it, it just affects. It's it's got to do with a with a an assessment of the work that was being carried out by these people, and um, they are claiming that they um, that the money should be paid to them. Three grand a year should be paid to them on foot of the recommendations that found that yes, they were doing this work and yes, it was additional and. Um, that's where they are. They feel that this should be paid straight off. That's um, that's three million, amounting up to twenty million a year. Um, however, uh, the HSE and the department uh, maintain that just because there's an agreement that they're doing it doesn't necessarily mean that they're due the money straight away. So it looks like a bit of a Mexican standoff there. So that's all UHL hospitals apart from Ennis, Nina, and St John's Hospital. Correct. And that story is available in this week's paper. Now from David Raleigh, Children's Grief Centre. Yeah, be funded by the state. I know they came into funding recently, but yeah, the the the, the problem here, you see, is that um, there are more and more um, children being caught up in, you know, separations, divorce, um, death, all of these areas that can have hugely significant effects on children and their their development. And um, the Children's Grief Centre, set up by Sister uh, Helen Cullhan, um, has been operating for the last several years. Uh, at the moment, um, there's a fairly significant waiting list. So far, the, the, the centre, they've put something like 1,300 children through, through the whole service. Um, they learn how to cope with grief and loss and break up and all that sort of thing through self-expression, art. It's all part of the healing process. It has some fairly significant ambassadors. For instance, Olive Foley, who's um, the widow of the late Anthony Foley, has testified to the fact that, you know, they have been of enormous benefit to her and to her family getting over, you know, the shock of Anthony's death. Um Essentially, what they're looking for is they're looking for um, state funding. Now, up to now, uh, Sister Helen has been fortunate enough to be able to get the premises, the Westbourne Convent, um, free of charge um, from the Sisters of Mercy, which is our which is our congregation. However, you know now they need a, a bigger base, a bigger setup. Uh, the estimated cost for that is around four million, which may sound like a lot, but it's not really in this context. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's actually fairly a fairly modest outlay. Um, I think that that also they're they're caught with running costs of about one hundred and fifty grand a year. Um, so they really need they really need some form of state support there, and they make the point that. A service like this just saves this state so much further down the line that it's it's money well invested, and I think most people would agree. And the, the four million euro centre that they're lobbying for is there f- to cope with extra demand. So it shows you the amount of work that they do, really. Absolutely, absolutely, yes. Um, so over to a local business that's turning something negative into a positive. Uh, we have Burglars Force Limerick restaurant owners to go cashless. 
Yeah, this is another story by David Raleigh. And again, he's everywhere, isn't he? Yeah, he is actually <laughs> the ever-present David Raleigh. He's he's actually um, managed to 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 get some um, video stills from the um, from the CCTV coverage. Now, essentially, this is a story about a fairly well-known um, Limerick restaurant, uh, the Tuscany Bistro. Now, they also have a Tuscany in uh, Limerick City, and there's another one out in Balnag, Hillaloo. Um, the person behind its success is um, Sabrina Amadeo, and um, she has got just so cheesed off of the fact that they've been burgled so many times, three times in the last three months, actually, that she's just decided, right, at this stage, we're just going to go cashless. Her rationale behind that is if the cash isn't there, they're not going to, they're not actually going to come in and wreck her place and rob the money. Now, you know, it's a fairly, uh, a fairly unique approach to a, a fairly serious problem. But if you just saw some of the photographs from the video stills, you have this big meaty guy and he's taken a wallop with a with a, a pickaxe. pickaxe yeah <laughs> yeah he's really really putting it in there and you can imagine the amount of damage that's done never mind the fact that it's such a an intrusive and such a, a, a violent um attack on the premises luckily enough but you know you would you would actually have quite a lot of sympathy with her and also the fact that she's very concerned not alone about her business and the money but also about her staff and uh, you know you can you can actually share that concern with her and having somebody come into your place when you're you know absolutely intimidating absolutely well. and a violation yeah. you know there, there was mention there of a, a garda station needed for castle troy as well yeah that was a that was that a yeah a sidebar on the whole thing um, OD, I think, that's Gary. right yeah at a recent meeting of the joint policing committee um, Jerry O'Dee, Fianna Fáil councillor, would have been a very, very strong advocate of there being um, a full-time um, Garda station in Castle Troy. And this more or less feeds into it. You know, they, they, they believe that Castle Troy is one of the, the fastest growing areas in the city. Now, if you take account of the big student population out there, UL, um, there's a huge amount of property out there that's rented and leased and the whole lot. So, yeah, you can see the rationale, actually. It's it's a long way into Henry Street, I'd say, you know, if you're if you're after being burgled or your house has been broken into or your car has been stolen or whatever. So, um, every, yeah. Every minute can matter, really, you know. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And then uh, looking at the environment, there's a council meeting call for the Park Recycling Centre. Yeah, this one is this one is creating quite a stir locally. There's a, there's a huge amount of comment and a huge amount of criticism online over the council's decision um, to close down the Park Recycling Centre. Um, now, this is happening. This is happening actually this week. Um, but the claim from um, from some of the councillors and more. Uh, particularly Sinn Féin councillor John Costello, is that this is something that has been going on by stealth for several months. In other words, the council have been winding down the services at the recycling centre to such a stage that, you know, they're ready now to close it this week and there hasn't been any consultation with the local residents or with any of the public representatives, the councillors. Um, and, you know, given that background, there's a, a meeting being held on this Thursday and um, Councillor Coslow has been promising that they'll be uh, held to pay with the council executive. So it should be interesting to see how that one will play out. And considering the, the work that needs to be done in environment protection and... 
Absolutely, the fact, yeah, yeah, and the fact that these people will, will will have to cross the city the whole way out to out to Mungret, you know, to to do recycling. Um, you know, there seems to be a fairly significant argument in favour of its retention. Now, it'll be interesting to know um, what sort of argument the council are going to put up for its closure. You know, we, we have to hear all these arguments being trotted out. So that opportunity will be there tomorrow. So that's a meeting we'll keep an eye on. So, Jerry. Yep. Jerry Collison, Head of News, thank you for joining me and have a lovely weekend for yourself. Uh, thank you very much, although the weekend is a couple of days away, but your wishes are <laughs> very, very much appreciated. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Brown Thomas, who have their summer sale now on. I'm now joined by Megan Scully, who looks happy to hear about that sale. Yes, I do, because I have a Brown Thomas voucher that I haven't <laughs> used yet, and I did not know that. So, what am I doing this evening? Will I make my way down to Brown Thomas? I think I might have to. It's a good idea. How are you getting on, Megan? I'm very good. Busy as always, yeah. but not complaining. Did very happy. a nice week last week while I was away? I did. It was a lovely, smooth running week. Was uh, it? Yeah, it really yeah, was. And good. I took over the podcast. So I uh, have to say, I'm going to leave it to you. I'm not going to try you to sure? take it off you. Yes, I'm very no sure. No problem. That's good to hear. <laughs> uh, you had an eventful week anyway. You were out in uh, UL to meet Mick McCarthy and Ray Houghton. Mick McCarthy and Ray Houghton. Yes, that, that was a really bad impression. <laughs> I'm so sorry to anyone from that side of the country and who lives in the UK and may grow up with Ray and Mick. But anyways, that was my impression. Yeah, well, because when I was, I think it was, I was around six or seven, possibly eight years old. Um, you my, started queuing up for the interview. I did. Yeah. My dad brought me to um, out to Lansdowne Road along with my brother and we went to Ireland versus Argentina and Ireland lost 2-0. Um, but we, my dad knew the team physio at the time. So we were brought back to the team hotel afterwards to meet all the players and the management and I actually have a photo alongside Mick McCarthy um, at the side of the pitch because we were also there for the uh, warm-up session and um, I got a photo with them then last week and in UL and I wanted to compare the photos but my mother and I for some reason can find every single photo from that day except the one with Mick McCarthy (laughs) and so when I get it I will put them up on Instagram but anyways the reason I was there is because they were uh, launching the UEFA 2020 FAI um, kind of exhibition national football exhibition so basically loads of memorabilia from all your favorite sporting memories that you can think of um so really cool and um so I got to chat to him and he was really sound and he was staying in Limerick so I more so wanted to know what exactly was going on because a lot of people are asking football questions so of course I didn't ask a football question That's I asked not Megan's Limerick. way you know? no not at no. all I you know I find like it's good to ask people about things that are actually their hobbies not their job yeah people love talking about their hobbies more so than their job so then um like Danny chatting about Dublin GAA. GAA. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's it. Um, I have to chat to him about the hurling action and see what his thoughts are on Dublin beating Galway. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so then I um, got to chat to him and then I chatted to Ray Houghton as well, which is really cool. Now, I did prefer ask Ray about football and you can find out what he said up on the Limerick Post uh, dotty forward slash show. And then, yeah, there was a lot of great excitement actually around UL because the Kennedy Cup was taking place, which is the soccer tournament for the teenagers. So the place was just buzzing. Like, it was great to see. Um, so it was a very exciting time and the exhibition is there until the 30th of of June and what did you make of the exhibition was it cool really cool I mean there's so much amazing memorabilia like if you think back it's actually the 25th anniversary since Ray Houghton scored that goal um, and put it back into the Italian net in USA I like how everyone just says that goal. Everyone knows about it, you know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Now, I think there's the thing with Irish football. There's a few of those those magic moments that stand out for all of us. Obviously, Italian 90 for me was amazing. <laughs> Being at the tender age of one. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was about, what, six or seven months old? But my family speak about it. So mum yeah. says, obviously mum remembers it really well because I was a tiny tot, so yeah. a tiny baby. So she's, yeah, everyone remembers 90. I, I think I was only two, so, and I still think I was there. I think I have memories of it, but... You're not that much older than me. I know, no, but I was two. But <laughs> I, I think I have memories of it. I, I'm not sure if they actually are, you know, but 
I do remember Blair and Derek Doom and singing. Ooh, ah, Paul McGrath. I said, ooh, ah, Paul McGrath. That's the one. <laughs> Megan, what else is going on this week? So um, there's loads going on this week. Um, it's um, International Day of Yoga on Friday. So we are going to be speaking to a yoga instructor and we're going to be put through our yoga paces well, you are. I don't know if I'll be you up don't for see that. how flexible and bendy yeah. I am. Um, and also, we're going to be talking to a comedian this week. So he'll be on the show on Friday. I'm not going to give too much away, but uh, he's obviously very funny because that's his job. It's his job. Yeah. So I'm going to try to see if he can make me laugh. <laughs> um, no pressure now. It's funny. I'm, I, I, I feel like I'm really hard to make laugh. So we'll just see. And also, um, Friday is International Bring Your Dog to Work Day. So all I can say is if you like puppies... And breezy. And breezy. Watch this space. We have a special guest coming into the Limerick Post on Friday. And I'm going to be shooting something a little bit exciting as well. So I have to say, Friday show, I can't wait for it already because it's going to be jam-packed. I can't wait if there's dogs in it as well. You just can't wait because your own dog's going to be in it. Is he? Yeah, breezy's going to be around. But my own dog isn't because my sheepdog is not very good at office or indoor situations. She is very much so an outdoor dog. and She's, she's not an office worker. She's just not an office. She's a bit like me, actually. Um, she's better off out in the wild. So uh, I'm going to leave her at home where she's, where she's happier and Poor it won't Bella. drag her into yeah. it yet. Megan, thanks very much for joining me. And uh, hopefully your week is as eventful as it sounds. Thank you very much. And I'm very excited for it. And now I'm going to go and get some tea. Lovely. Enjoy. Give me The fault or wrote. This week's podcast is sponsored by Brown Thomas, who have their sale now on with up to 50% off in store and online. I'm now joined by John Keogh, sports journalist with Sporting Limerick. John, how are you getting on? Oh, good. Can you know yourself? Uh, sure, as good as I can be. I think you were missed last week on the podcast. I yeah, the breakdown in communications, I, I think. think so, yeah, yeah, something like that. But uh, there was a fairly action-packed weekend of sport in yeah. Limerick and beyond. Yeah, there was, starting with starting with the hurlers down in Tipperary. Was, was it a case of shadow boxing, this, that and the other, as has been the talk before, once, once Limerick named their team? With Declan Hannon ruled out through injury, John Kiley also opted to rest, Keane Lynch, Graham Mulcahy and Garot Hegarty. Limerick lost by four points as Kieran Carey's writing in this week's paper. Was it the correct call? He said it was to, to, to play the four, but also felt that Tipperary could have won by more and missed a few chances, very, especially early in the game. Look, it wasn't a good performance by Limerick, seemed very flat. Was that to do with the changes? John Kiley opted to give fellas a chance that had been champing at the bit for this chance to start the game. they had a good start to the game. A decent start yeah. to the game, yeah. Aaron Galan and Shane Dowling, especially early on. But just something wasn't, something was amiss, you know. The passes yeah. weren't going to hand, that usually are very crisp. Delivery into the forwards wasn't as good as it was. The wrong option being taken a lot throughout the game. Look, it's another loss, it's Limerick's second loss in, in the Munster Championship. It didn't really matter as they were effectively sure of going, getting finished in the I top there three was anyway. special needed in the Clare and Cork game to, the, to take them off that. To take them off, yeah. finishing third at the very least. So yeah. as it turns out, it's going to be a Limerick-Tipperary um, Munster final in a couple of weeks' time anyway. And it's the opposite now. It's going to be on the Gaelic grounds, the LAT Gaelic grounds, which is should be an advantage for Limerick we yeah. saw that against Clare the previous week definitely bite on by a home crowd tickets as we already know are, are not on sale public sale for stand tickets I should say going through the clubs but the tickets there was a scramble for tickets this morning from the usual outlets, outlets on the tickets website and in the shop so look, from both sets of supporters Limerick and Tipperary it's, it's 
that game is effectively forgotten now. Tipperary have lost two players for Limerick game. Bonner Maher's done a cruciate ligament. Ruptured his cruciate ligament. And Kyle Barrett has also been ruled out with a hamstring injury. They're undoubted losses to the Tipperary team. So, look, we're building now for uh, what's going to be a mouthwatering monster final. And will we have the likes of Declan Hannon back? Yeah, John Kiley said at the weekend, I believe he said at the weekend, now I wasn't down in Thurless, but that he should be okay for it. So can only judge in that time will tell you, yeah. you, you don't know Barry Murphy though on, on a different note we, we said a few weeks ago he got injured against Waterford they were expecting that it wasn't a, a hamstring injury that was the initial thought turns out it's a very very serious hamstring injury he's been ruled out for the rest of the season so that just shows how how serious an injury it is yeah. last. but back to Declan Hannon yeah he was badly missed um, against Tipperary he's a huge huge part of Limerick's game plan with his delivery and just covering and his ability to read the game it's not to say that there's not good cover on the bench for absolutely there is. not it's, I it's mean you'd, you'd have back line you'd yeah. have back line Dermot Burns Dan Morris and Paddy O'Loughlin most teams in the country would be fairly happy with that just all round I think Limerick weren't weren't really where they would want to be yeah. intensity wise and now it's coming into this game in a couple of weeks all about consistency for Limerick a poor performance against Cork first off this year very good performance down in Waterford, followed up by an excellent performance. I'd argue the best performance Limerick, have, Limerick have put in. Very yeah. clinical, but their best performance they've put in in John Kiley's reign. I don't think anyone could argue with that. Yeah. Score 128 against, look, Clare have had a bad year, but it's still a serious Clare team. There, there was a fair amount of consternation in Limerick when, when Limerick lost to Clare last year in Ennis. It certainly wasn't by a margin that Limerick beat them. Yeah. So it was, it was very clinical. That's what, that's what I believe this Limerick team are, and that's the level they've set. Whether they can reach that level again, only time will tell. But they're up against a very, very good Tipperary team. They've, they've looked, they've won all their games. What more can you ask for a Munster? They're, they're going into the Munster final in a couple of weeks' time as favourites, even though the game is on Limerick. And I'm not yep. playing Limerick's ability down or anything like that. Tipperary have to be favourites going into the game. I'd imagine it'll be a different game, though, in in two weeks' time. and. Especially with these players back and the yeah, you'd, missing you'd imagine, well. you'd imagine so. But we'll, we'll talk more about that um, next week. Also, it has to be said, the Miners are in a successive Munster final. They did a very big victory over the over Tipperary in the precursor to the senior game. Um, Dermot Munster has done very well. Two draws and two wins, so they're going into the Munster final against Clare undefeated. You know they've been very impressive. Cahill O'Neill, who was the star of the team last year, has also been brilliant this year. But he's been ably backed up in the forward division anyway. By the likes of Adam English, who's who's just got better and better and better with each game, and Valley Brown's Edna O'Connor, so has to be mentioned that there. And last year they lost out to Tip in the Munster final again, a home game for them against Clare in this as well. So they've already beaten Clare in the championship too. So should be an interesting one as well. And we also had a nice win for the Camogie over the weekend. Yeah, we did. Yeah, they, for, they got their um, Camogie Senior Championship underway against Offaly at the LIT Gaelic Grounds. It wasn't. Um, a vintage performance by this team, but they did enough in the last five or six minutes, and that's what it came down to, the last yeah. five or six minutes. But that's where most games are won and lost. It is, yeah, but but Limerick really, really finished the game well. It, like they, they, they stumbled around it. Offaly played well now, it has to be said. A very good performance from Offaly, but Limerick weren't at their best. Niamh Mulcahy scored 11 points, the majority of which came from freeze, but it was the cameo from Rebecca De Lee in the last... Well, she got the first goal, but she also... Scored one one in the in the final minutes to win the game for Limerick. They won by four points, and it was down to Rebecca Lee's goal and a point. Look, they'll be looking to build on that. One notable um, addition to the sideline is Kieran Carey, 
Uh, Declan Ash, the manager, said to us after the game, he's he's come on in, in, a, in an advisory role in the last few weeks. Look, if you have someone like Kieran Carey on the sideline, he's going to bring something to it. He was definitely playing a very prominent role within that management team. So it's interesting to see what the dynamic will be going forward, but it's only a positive for that Camogie team. They're playing Wexford next up, again at LIT Gaelic Grounds on Saturday 28th, I think. 29th. The night before the Munster final anyway. So it's going to be a good weekend for GA and Limerick. Brilliant. People should keep their eyes peeled and... Onto the football. Yeah, the, f- the footballers... The lads are trying to bounce back. From yeah, the the very, very score. disappointing defeat to Cork last time out in the Munster semi-final. They're away to Westmead in the All-Ireland qualifiers this Saturday. I was with them last night doing a bit of video for Sport in Limerick. I interviewed Billy, Lee, Billy Lee, the manager and joint captain and goalkeeper Donald O'Sullivan. Um, I think they recognised there was a bit of expectation. This is the general feeling I got from them last night that the difference between the lead in the Tipperary game they were coming in under the radar... A lot of people in Limerick and around the footballing scenes were expecting a big performance. Maybe they could catch Cork. Mm-hmm. I think the general feeling was that there was expectation around this Limerick team all of a sudden where they weren't used to that. Yeah. And the end result was a fairly, fairly bad trimming by Cork. Billy Lee and the players um, feel that that's been rectified. Whether that's enough to beat Westmead, a good quality team, Westmead. Limerick don't have a great recent record against them. You know, it's away in West Miss Westmead as well in Mullingar on Saturday night. It's going to be a very tough. Westmead are playing Division Two football next year in the league. It was a bit of a surprise exit to Leash in the Leinster Championship this year as well. Didn't really perform on the day. Look, Limerick just have to bring everything. It's the same as I said before the Cork game. They'll need everything to go right and for Westmead to have an off day. But they'll, I'm confident anyway, and I'm sure they're fairly confident it'll be a completely different performance that'll be put in. This time around, I don't envisage too many changes from that team that lost to Cork and indeed the team that beat Limerick. But, you know, they, they're they playing, as, as Donald Sullivan was saying to me last night, look, we're, we're coming to the end of June and we're still playing football. They're delighted to still be in the championship. It's massive progression from the last few Absolutely, years. and yeah. that's what one win can do, you yeah. know. <laughs> it was a win over Tipperary. It was the first time in six, seven years that they even got a win in Munster. So. Yeah. And that was the first time a lot of the players had experienced the win in Munster. So you have to... It's incremental improvements, and that's what this Limerick team have been doing. Certainly this season, from their performances in the league, where they should have won a couple of more games, to beating Tip. Okay, there was a drop-down in performance against Cork. It's about bringing that performance levels up uh, for the Westmead game, and we'll see what happens from there. And then uh, over to the odd-shaped ball. The, the oval-shaped ball. ball. Yeah, it, it, it's broken. We haven't it's talked. It's odd to me, but it's oval. <laughs> it's odd oval every which way. <laughs> it doesn't bounce straight anyway, you can say that. Yeah, we we haven't we missing the podcast last. We haven't we haven't um, had a chance to talk about Munster's coaching appointments. Tom Savage this week analyzes the impact that both the forwards coach Graham Rowntree and the backs coach um, Stephen Larkin could have. Just before I get into that, you you lose two ex players and, and big losses for Munster and Jerry Flannery and Felix Jones. People who have passion for the club. Absolutely, but in Graham Rowntree and Stephen Larkin, you've proven coaches at a world level Jerry Flannery and Felix Jones I'm not saying anything bad about Jerry Flannery and Felix Jones it was their first job at Munster these guys have worked Stephen Larkin's coached in the World Cup final Graham Rowntree has coached for years with England and then the Lions as well so you know you've, you've two high level coaches coming in to help you on Van Gran. that can only be positive as t- but going back to what Tom Savage is saying 
it's up to the players now as well to improve under their coaching. You know, y- you can change, make all the changes in the world with coaches. The end of the day comes down to players, and we'll see. We'll see what comes from that. There's no question that these guys will bring a new impetus to Munster. Stephen Larkham certainly at the backs a very highly respected coach with the Brumbies and with Australia and in recent times the Australian Academy. Do you think it can give Munster the push they need to get Well, well you, you, you can only imagine that guys that had experience and guys that have coached at that such, such a high level has to have some kind of a bounce. Then it comes down to the players is, is, yeah. is what Tom is making out and that's what I believe as well. So you can only give the tools and it's up to the players then to, to try and pull it off then we'll see if the players are good enough and look that's that's just the basic of watching sport are the players good enough we'll find out you know the coaches can only take you so far exactly you see what what Stuart Lancaster has brought to Leinster Rugby in helping out Leo Cullen an ex-head head coach at international level you know Leinster have come on in leaps and bounds under Stuart Lancaster but again he's only providing the coaching it's up to the players to follow that coaching and implement their own skills on the this back This would be it. a massive off-season for Munster. Without question, yeah, it, it will be, but again, you're getting these Graham Rountrees involved with Georgia in the World Cup. I'm not sure Stephen Larkham's situation is and when his contract starts. I haven't, I'm not aware of that at this yeah. moment, but you know, it's very, very positive. And, and for, for Munster, the fact that they've acted so quick and landed two coaches of that ilk, arguably two of the best coaches around and available, more importantly, you know, it very quickly takes the negative of losing Jerry Flannery and Felix Jones and it's very much turned into a positive, certainly from where I'm standing anyway. And looking, okay, okay, we've got these two guys. They're the best available. Has that always been the case with Munster? I'm not sure if it has. And I'm not talking about, again, Jerry Flannery and Felix Jones. Has it always been the case? Oh, we'll get this guy and see. Johan van Graan was an unproven coach, head coach. At coaching level, he'd done a lot of good work at assisting coaching level in certain specific coaching levels. It was the same with Anthony Foley before him. It was the same with Rob Penny at the highest level. Rob Penny had coached very high level in New Zealand rugby and club rugby with the Crusaders, but not at super rugby level. Before that, Tony McGann's first job was as a head coach was at Munster. And then you're back to the Alan Gaffney and Declan Kidney. So, I mean, you've, you've had a lot of first-time head coaches taken over Munster since, the, since they've last won a, tro- a trophy okay Tony McGann won the Celtic League in 2011 so that is a, that is an issue I mean there's no point saying it is okay Leo Collins a, a first time head coach but he's been backed by a very very experienced coaching team yeah. led by Stuart Lancaster so and that was a strong Leinster team as well oh 100% yeah, yeah. But, but if you look at it Leo Collins struggled massively in his first first season with yeah. Leinster you know he needed help he came into the job probably a year earlier or a year or two earlier than he would have wanted and Leinster would have but when a job like that presents itself exactly. what choice do you have yeah, that's it I, I, I just I'm certainly the negativity that finished last season with poor performances against Saracens and indeed Leinster in the Pro 14 semi-final not that they've been washed away by the, these appointments but certainly you can kind of look at them a little bit easier now and go okay that was then we've a new era and then the, we've a new era starting next season the problem is it's another new era, you know. So I'm certainly positive about it. I'd like to think Munster fans are positive about it, but... You can just wait and see. Like everything else, Keith, yeah. <laughs> you just have to wait and see how things go. And You know, they've been appointed on, on three-year deals, so that's interesting as well in itself that it's not... Like, a lot of the players have signed up till 2022. Johan van Graan has extended his contract to 2022. These are here till 2022, so I mean... 
gives you three years to it's it's a three year and i hate i absolutely hate three-year plans five-year <laughs> plans because sport now whether you like it or not is instant yeah. it has to be instant it's just the nature of modern society as well where everything is now everything yeah. has to be now there's no building anymore so you can build little things within a bigger plan but if monster if we're talking if we're here next year either of us at the same time and monster still haven't won a trophy ultimately that's what monster needs yeah we'll see how it goes hopefully fingers crossed <laughs> and then yeah, over absolutely. to the soccer since we last spoke Super Blues have bet Galway United 2-1 and drawn with Wexford Utes yeah. away from home. Again, you've hit the nail on the head. Beat Galway at home 2-1 and then you had the, you, the, the Wex, playing Wexford last weekend and they'll all draw. Last Conor Ellis before the game or was injured going into the game so his, his goal scoring ability was missed right away. Look, they'll be a bit disappointed with we're not getting the three points away from Wexford if you talk about that. The Galway game deserved three points. Yeah. Two one win. Look, at this stage, anyone coming to to the markets field, they're in for a tough game, you know. And which is good to see, considering last year it was it was disaster last year. Yeah, yeah. But there were so many things going on last year. Yeah. We didn't know what what eleven <laughs> was coming every week. This week, like we we've no game till the twenty eighth when they when they welcome Shelburne to the markets field. It's a two-week break, it's a mid-season break. Um, can only be if we if we look back at the whole season up up to now. You know, you've eight eight league games at home. They've won five, drawn three. Everything the Limerick are doing is based on their home home form. And as a result, Limerick are in a playoff position. And if you'd asked Tommy Barrett before the season start, would you take that at mid at the mid-season break? And you could be sure he would have taken your hand, hand off. And all be gone. Yeah. Every your hand, <laughs> limbs, a few more limbs. Absolutely, because we all know the situation yeah. that's been in front of him. We've all yeah, to be in that position with the squad the size it is at this Absolute, point look, of the season. Is they've, they've been lucky with injuries. He'll be the first to admit that yeah. they needed to be lucky with injuries. They've missed out a couple of times suspensions. They've had the likes of Lee Devitt absolutely step up to the mark when given a chance. On, the bo- on both the left hand side and in the middle of the park you know def- but it, it has been as good as the Red Hanlon and Conor Ellis have been up front it's 100% been built on the back of an extremely solid defence yeah Robbie Williams well, Robbie Williams is, is having an unbelievable yeah. season Killian Bruder alongside him has been brilliant Sean Kelly's been very consistent Shane Tracy the same at left back and Jack Brady has been, had an outstanding season in goals so as good as things have been up front, and Limerick have, have posed a threat up front in every game, they're creating chances, which wasn't the case last season. Yeah. Playing one up front, Conor Ellis wasn't fully fit. He's certainly fully fit this season. He's shown... He, he, he has certainly shown, sorry, that he's living up to the bill he kind of had when he joined Limerick yeah. as a young lad from Cork. He's still a young lad. He's only 20, 21, I think, <laughs> is all he is. But last season, his first season, didn't really work out for him. He was carrying that groin injury for a long time. He had hip problems as well. Never really fit. He certainly looked a different player. Now I know it's a step down as well in division, but with a man up front in Red Hanlon that's doing a lot of the work from Conor Ellis is doing, still doing a lot of running, but he's someone else to share the burden with. It certainly led to him being able to concentrate and have enough energy to be in and around the goal when he needs to be yeah. in. And you can see him making the space on the wings as well. Yeah, look, look you, you've been in a good few games yeah. at home this year. Look, Limerick are a very, very good team at home. They're going to be very difficult to beat, even with Shelburne coming in a couple of weeks' time. And they're a good team to watch. So. Uh, play lovely football, yeah. Should be yeah down there. You know, yeah. like, absolutely. Look, we, we, we've talked about the negatives in this podcast so many times during the year and, and you can't talk about Limerick FC yeah. without the negatives because... There is a lot going on. There still is a lot going on and rumour has it like that the players still haven't been paid and 
look, they're, look, very much so ahead of the Shelburne game. We're talking about Shelburne coming this. There's every chance that there could be a strike before that. Yeah. And there's, there's every chance the Limerick players will be walking away if they're not paid by that game or even paid before then. So everything positive we're talking about initially is all on the field. We've said that for I don't know how many weeks running now off the field the issues are still the same you mentioned about the crowds there's a good product being presented for anyone that do, does turn up at the markets field but you're, you're getting four three four hundred people at it it's not sustainable yeah. it's like everything else what's going on with the ownership isn't sustainable the dailies come in with a lot of fanfare to start of the season as investors they've pulled out obviously promises weren't kept in whatever shape or fashion you know, it's just negative, negative, negative off the field, off the field. The rumoured um, injection of money from another source that or another consortium that Sean Connor was leading hasn't materialised. There's still talks going on, supposedly. Who knows? You know, you, you, you've just... It, 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 it gets withersome, you know. Yeah. Talking about what's going on at Limerick FC. I'll be honest, I don't know what's going to happen ahead of the Shelburne game. You know, I'm covering every home game. You've been at a few games. You've, As you've said, we've watched... Very enjoyable watching Limerick FC this year, but the fact that there's no fans turning up just tells its own story. That yeah. It's not sustainable, what's going on. Said we've, we're sick of the death of talking about it. So what you do is treat yourself to a ticket to a Limerick match, go down and support the Super Blues. Absolutely, yeah. if there's a game on against Shelburne. Yeah. If they're not striking, we'll, the time will tell on that one. So uh, we'll stick with soccer, John, the over 40s. Yeah, very traditional, brilliant competition in in Limerick soccer. The over 40s tournament takes place this coming weekend at Jan- at Pier Stadium in Janesborough Football Club. Um, anyone who hasn't been to the over 40s competition, you're looking at a high level of standard of soccer. Some junior players still knocking about at junior level, level at junior soccer level within Limerick are playing the over 40s. It's a very competitive competition, but it's a great bit of crack as well. And I'd recommend anyone to head down this weekend. If you haven't been before, and if you have, you know what you're getting with anyway. So head down to that this weekend. John, thank you very much for joining us. No problem, Ian. Uh, As always, our sports content is brought to you in association with Sporting Limerick, where you can find more sports news, minority sports news, videos and podcasts online at limerickpost.ie or sportinglimerick.com. Or following the hashtag SportLK across all social media channels. John, thanks very much for joining me and have a good weekend. You too, Keen. In this week's Arts and Entertainment's news, Rose Rush speaks to Emma Langford about her biggest Irish show to date at the Old Crescent RFC. In what the Limerick singer-songwriter says is a farewell concert to her debut album, Quite Joint, as this will be the first time an audience will hear tracks from her upcoming album. That interview and more arts news is available on page 72 of this week's paper. In other entertainment news, Eric Fitzgerald paid a visit to Amon Amarth and Behemoth playing at King John's Castle on Monday and gives our readers a review of the concert, which he says saw Swedish metal band Amon Amarth reclaim the ancient Viking site at King John's Castle for just one night only. All entertainment news is available from page 71 of this week's Limerick Post newspaper and online at limerickpost.ie. So that's it for this week's Limerick Post news roundup. I'm your host, Keen Reinhardt. I'd like to thank Jerry Collison, Head of News, Megan Scully from the Limerick Post Show, and John Keogh from Sporting Limerick for joining me. This podcast is sponsored by Brown Thomas, who have their sale now on with up to 50% off. For more news, sports, entertainments, arts, pets, home and living, visit limerickpost.ie or keep up to date with all Limerick news following the hashtag keeping Limerick posted across all social media channels. We really are keeping Limerick posted. <laughs>